0: 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I think it's one of the greatest texts in the Bible to help us as a church understand the importance of being generous as a church, because Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth and then helping them understand how other churches have been generous, and now they have an opportunity to be generous. And so I think it's very, very fitting for us to read this text today, to, to hear a sermon on this text today. And as always, we're going to ask God to bless our time together, all right? So would you pray with me? And then we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and for how you have been so generous to us. Um, God, you loved the world so much that you gave. And so, God, we want to not only listen to that word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is what Christmas season is all about. But God, as we hear your word preached today, would you open our eyes and our ears to the truth that is in it? to help us to know how to respond to your generosity to us, your grace to us. And God, would you help me to communicate in a way that honors you and it is helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm gonna start in verse one and we'll work our way down to verse 15, all right? Verse one, it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now let's stop and chat for a little bit about that. There's a lot going on there. First, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which is a church he started, and he is telling them about what he is doing. He's raising money for the saints in Jerusalem, because the saints in Jerusalem, we know, because Acts tells us in Acts chapter two, they gave When Pentecost came, they gave in response to the gospel coming to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit coming and falling on that place. And so then they gave very, very generously. And because they gave, the gospel spread. But now the saints in Jerusalem, they were very, very generous. And the gospel spread to Macedonia, Corinth, all these other cities through the work of the Apostle Paul. And now they're in need. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's on his way back to Jerusalem, and he is raising funds, and he's telling the church in Corinth about what the churches in Macedonia have done. Now, obviously, the churches in Macedonia is a geographical region, and that country's still there today. And what's amazing is even today, there are some Christians in that country, not a lot. It's not majority Christian by any means, but there is still an extreme poverty and also a wealth of spiritual riches among those churches, and it's, it's really kind of crazy. Like, Even as we're reading in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's still true about the churches in Macedonia, and so he is writing to the churches in Corinth because he wants them to understand what just happened with the churches of Macedonia, and then he explains to us what happened. He says they had a severe test of affliction, and then he gives us this kind of crazy math equation where he says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Now, if we were breaking that down into a math equation, and I say this all the time, I like math. All right. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. Two plus two equals four. All right. So I don't like English as much as because you got to write what you feel. All right. And then they're going to grade me and say, that's wrong. Well, that's how I felt. Right. But two plus two has no feelings. All right. And so in this math equation, abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. Let me ask a basic question. Does that normally add up? Does normally a wealth of generosity come out of an equation that evolves extreme poverty? No, it just doesn't add up. In fact, that's what I titled the message today. I changed it. I was going to call it something else, and you'll see it in a verse in a minute, but I changed it to, that doesn't add up, because as I was reading this, that's exactly what I thought. that's, That's like saying two plus four equals five. You're like, wait, that doesn't add up. And I'm reading this, and then that's what really jumped out at me, which is why I wanted to title it that. In fact, I want us all to say on the count of three, that doesn't add up. One, two, three. That doesn't add up. And here's the equation. Abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. The reason why in our brains that doesn't add up is because we wrongly put the emphasis on what we have. We look at these churches in Macedonia and say, why in the world are you giving? Why are you overflowing with the wealth of generosity out of extreme poverty? In fact, most of us, when we think about giving a lot of times, that's how we think. Well, I don't have enough to give because we're judging it on a standard that does add up to us. But the churches of Macedonia, they didn't give based upon their material riches. They gave based upon their spiritual riches. An abundance of joy. Now, if you know anything about the word joy, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Paul says. Fruit of the Spirit is love, and the next one is joy. And they had an abundant supply of joy an abundant supply of joy. They didn't have a lot of material goods. They were in the and the Bible doesn't just say poverty. Paul says extreme poverty. And then I want you to think about this like if we were kind of visualizing this as a well. All right? We have wealth, all right? And so if you have a well, like if your well is full, you're really really wealthy. And if it's full, then it's easier for it to overflow. But if you're not wealthy and your well is almost empty, like it's down at the bottom, it takes a lot for that to overflow, doesn't it? It takes a lot. But here's what's crazy. They were at the bottom of the well, but Paul says they overflowed. They overflowed with a wealth of generosity. So what was the difference between what they had and the overflowing to others? They had an abundance of joy. That well was full of joy. What they didn't have in material goods, they did have in spiritual goods. And here's why I point this out. Because so often we count wealth wrongly. We think wealth is simply defined by material things. And we miss that it's also defined by spiritual things. So you can be materially poor and spiritually rich and you're wealthy. but let me say it to it like this. You can be materially rich and spiritually poor and be in poverty. See, it's just a different way of thinking. And I love that Paul highlights the churches that didn't have a lot to give. They had no reason in this earthly standard to give because they didn't have anything, but what they did have was an abundance of joy. And it overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Not only that, but look at the next couple verses. Verse three and four. It says, for they gave according to their means. And if you've been around, you know I like prepositions. So according to is a preposition of reference. And so they gave according to. So here's what we got. We're going to give according to that, which is natural, normal. But then it says this. It says that Isaac can testify and beyond their means. That's the preposition of degree. What that means is they didn't just give in reference to what they had, they gave to the degree beyond that. Now that's some giving, right? They gave to a degree more than even, not just according to what they had, but beyond their means of their own accord. Now look at verse four. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So don't miss this. They didn't just overflowed. They begged to do it. And I looked that word up in the Greek and and it means to beg. Now, here's what I'm highlighting. This is the Christmas season, right? Now, I got two kids and a lot of you got kids. Let me ask you just a simple question. Are your kids begging you to give to meet other people's needs this Christmas season? (laughs) Probably not right? Now, before we start ragging on kids, all right, I got a 10-year-old daughter. I'm about to have a 16-year-old son. They're kids. So naturally, what they're saying is, please, 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 can I have some Barbies? Please, 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 can I have an iPhone 11? I'm like, oh, I just wish you were asking for things that were so much cheaper than an iPhone. Remember the pet rock, right? I'm thoroughly convinced. I mean, that dude made a, became a millionaire off of that. He was like, I ain't got much, but here's a rock with some glutone on ice on it, I wish we could get back to those days, all right? Can some of you that are Instagram influencers make that happen again? Like make the pet rock cool again or a pet stick or something? You know, like, come on, somebody. And so my kids, are their kids. And again, I'm not hating on it. When I was a kid, I did the same thing. I mean, I was so selfish as a kid because both of my parents worked. When I got home after school and there was presents underneath the tree, I would open the presents that were already wrapped very meticulously so I could see what was on the inside and then tape them back up. And I thought I was gangster getting away with it, right? But my mom knew, just like all moms know. I mean, I was so selfish. I couldn't even wait till Christmas. Christmas. This is why on one Christmas, the, ver- the one gift that I wanted that wasn't a PS4, we didn't even have a PlayStation. It was a Super Nintendo. I mean, this was like this step up from Nintendo. And it was a step up because it was super, right? And my mom being just a smart mom, she didn't have it underneath the tree and she let me go all Christmas morning and it was not there. I, wrapped, I unwrapped everything. There's no Super Nintendo. I'm like, man, I got to get out of duck hunting, right? And so I got to get into some Super Nintendo. You don't know. I was even Atari. Remember Atari? Talking about like, you know, I don't even know what bit we're on now, but that was like two bits, all right? One bit. And she withheld the gift for a while, and they were all in. on didn't tell me. And then, like most kids, I'm like, thanks, thanks mom. And then they all started dying, laughing. And then my father brought in the Super Nintendo. So I mean, that's that's how kids are, right? Please, 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 gonna have this. Please, 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 gonna have this. But I want, I don't want you to miss this. What the broke people in Macedonia are begging for is not to receive anything; it's to give. See, it's all right if I'm 11 begging for that, but it might be a problem if I'm 41 still begging for that. Please, 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 can I have that? I mean, God love her. My mom was a gift giver. She's gone to be with Jesus now. But if here I am at 41 years old, and if I said, "Mom, mom, please, 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 can I have that? Y- you would look at me rightly and be like, bro, you're 41. Come on, bro. Like those days of receiving and over. And now it's you, Santa. You, you give now, right? It's, it's on you now. And I just want to point that out, that Paul was highlighting this fact of saying, listen, not only did they overflow, they begged us. Now, look at verse five. I love this. This is why I love the Bible. And this, not as we expected, Paul says. Duh. Again, this is why I love the Bible. Do you think anybody expects that? I mean, I just love Paul. He was like, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I've been pastor now for 20 years. Ain't had it happen yet. I have yet to have somebody beg me to give. Beg, like plead. Pastor, when are we doing the next giving initiative? I can't wait. I'm still waiting for that day. But Paul's like, I didn't expect that. I guess that's why I love the Bible. Paul's just being honest. He says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The reason why it didn't add up is because the Macedonians actually had their math right. They gave themselves first to the Lord, gave themselves first to the Lord. And then he says, by the will of God to us. And so here's what I want you to see. We read this story and we're like, man, that's crazy. That is weird. But here's what I want to highlight to you. That's actually not weird. That's normal. That's normal. See, a lot of times we read things in the Bible that we think are miraculous and weird and the Bible just talks about them like they're normal. That should be the response. Because if your generosity is grounded in the grace of God, then that becomes your response. It shows you have matured from begging to get to begging to give. And I want to show that to you. Look at the next couple of verses. Verse six and seven. Paul grounds this in just normal obedience. Look at this. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This act of grace is the grace of giving, and that was going to be my title this this week, was Excel in This Grace Also, but I want to point out here that he grounds this. He says, listen, you excel in everything. You excel in faith and speech and knowledge and urgency. Now, those, those things right there that he just highlighted are just normal spiritual growth, like basic level foundational discipleship things. I mean, look at them. First, faith. I mean, you are a Christian because you have faith in Christ. So that's, that's like foundational. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you came to Christ because you made a faith decision to trust Christ. That was the basic foundational thing. You can't be a Christian if you don't have faith in Christ. So Paul says you excel in that one. You excel in faith. And again, as as a Christian, if you are a believer today, we would read that and we're like, well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to be a Christian if you're not excelling in faith. That's like basic right there. And then the next one, he says, speech. You excel in speech. And, And it's so interesting to me. I mean, he could have chosen a lot of different things, but he chose that one because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so one of the major ways that you know someone has had faith in Christ is their speech changes. Now, automatically, when I start thinking, when I start talking about speech, all of us start thinking about cussing. And I'm not trying to say that if you cuss, you should question your salvation, because that's what people do. Like, I'll preach a whole message on something else, and I'll talk a little bit about cussing, and they'll leave like, I need to stop cussing. Like, no, that's not the whole message. (laughs) All right? Now, listen, when you're in traffic or you hit your finger with the hammer, I get it. There ain't much else other than four-letter words that come out. I understand. But I think all of us would agree to the fact that the longer that we are trusting in Jesus, the longer our words should get. You with me when I say that? They should move from four letter words to like five letter words, to like six letter words, to like seven letter words. You're like, there are cuss words that long? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying, learn some new words, right? And that just happens naturally. And again, I grew up in a household that wasn't Christian. We didn't go to church and I trusted Christ and got my family to trust Christ. And all I ever heard growing up was those words. But the longer our family walked with Jesus, we stopped hearing those words to where now we hardly ever hear those words. But that's a basic fundamental thing, right? Like, I don't think anybody would argue against that biblically because you just couldn't. And then the next one he says is knowledge. Again, the longer you walk with Jesus, you know, when you first trusted Christ, you didn't know hardly anything. I mean, people would talk about Martin Luther in church history. I thought they were talking about Martin Luther King. They were talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm like, who are those dudes? Job? Oh. I mean, how long did it take you to realize that it wasn't Job, it was Job? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, you would say Book of Revelations. You would make it plural. Then you found, no, it's singular. Quit saying that. You know what I'm saying? So this is why you go to school. This is why you get information. This is why I went to college. This is why I went to seminary. That's great. I need knowledge. I mean, I can't really preach to you if I don't know much. So that's good. And, and, and it's funny to me because knowledge is tied to speech. One of the reasons why my words went beyond four letters is, yes, because I trusted Christ. And secondly, because I went to school and I learned new words. Right? So again, I'm just trying to frame this for you. And here's what I'm trying to frame. We look at faith, we look at speech, we look at knowledge, we look at earnestness. That's just an eagerness to do something. Like, oh, yeah, that's all basic fundamental stuff. But when it comes to giving, that's for like super saint people. And here's all Paul's doing that's the same basic foundational stuff. It's the same argument of like, the longer you trust Christ, the less you should cuss. The longer you trust Christ, the more generous you should become. Like, it's just basic foundational, fundamental stuff. But yet we don't frame it that way. And one of the biggest problems, and I say this all the time, is because, again, we don't understand riches. Riches has nothing to do with what is in your bank account. And it has everything to do with God's grace towards you. And the reason why we know that is because Paul, in the next two verses, redefines that. Look at verse eight and nine. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know, knowledge, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So first, Paul grounds us in, in obedience and second, he grounds this In the gospel, he grounds this in grace. He says, Listen, you know the grace of God. You know the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, that though he was rich. Now, when you hear that word, that Jesus was rich, what do you think? Again, we wrongly just define that by money, by wealth. And we even look at the descriptions of heaven, streets of gold, pearly gates. And Peter's not standing there, by the way. Quit saying that. He's not the one that does the entrance thing. Jesus does, all right? We look at that description like, oh, heaven must be opulent. Whoa. No, we're reading it wrong. That description is not like heaven is so great in that sense. He's just saying that stuff is so common in heaven. Like gold, I say this all the time, gold is asphalt in heaven. Like we, we got asphalt here. We don't in Jasper yet. We're doing that here pretty soon. <laughs> and we're going to pave asphalt. Any of y'all here today when you leave services going to go out and try to chip off some asphalt so you could have wealth? <laughs> I mean, if you did, we'd have to arrest you. But then two, we would be like, you're crazy. Why would you go chip up asphalt? I mean, that's asphalt. That's some rocks with tar. And yet I think God would would say, well, that's how I see gold. I mean, in heaven, gold is asphalt. And honestly, I I can't show you scripture for this, but this is just kind of how I interpret it. that, That our whole economies are based on gold. And I think God's like, bro, I hid that in the ground. And just because it was shiny, you were like, ooh, gold. (laughs) I mean, for real, I think God's like, you're digging up stuff in caves and mines and basing your whole economies on that, and you're defining wealth by junk I buried in the dirt? Diamonds. (laughs) I mean, honestly. Honestly. And so, again, our problem is that we have misunderstood the biblical definition of wealth. See, Jesus was rich in relationship. The Trinity, he was rich in love. He was rich in joy. He was rich in peace. I mean, Jesus isn't sweating economies crashing. And I think so often the reason why we're not generous is because we're grounding our wealth in things that are in the ground. We're grounding them in the wrong direction. We are grounding them in things down there instead of what's up there. Because what's valuable up there is asphalt down here. And so I think what Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth is so necessary for the Christians in Canton and Jasper and Cherokee and Pickens, where he's saying, ground your generosity in God's generosity to you. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. And he didn't give gold. He gave Jesus. See, I can give without loving, but I cannot love without giving. And I think what Paul is doing here is exactly what we need to hear. We need to hear the Bible say to us, you got to redefine wealth. You got to redefine what you think significance is. And see, the churches of Macedonia understood that, and Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand that. And those are written, the Bible says, so that we would understand that. That giving is natural. It's just an obedience-based thing. And it becomes natural when we understand that we're only a Christian because God was generous. He gave to us, and so we give to others which is the last thing that he grounds us in. Look at verse 10. He says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and the desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. You know, two and a half years ago, we started this Multiply Initiative, and several hundred families made a commitment to give above and beyond so that the gospel could be multiplied. A lot of people started it. And if you're here today and you were one of those families that started it, we're, again, we're just simply saying, finish it. You started it with such eagerness, with such zeal, finish it. And listen, I told you last week, if you were here, I understand how hard it is to finish and Lindsay and I had to rearrange things in our life for us to be able to finish, but I wanted to make sure that we put being generous to the kingdom of God over any other thing, even in a severe test of affliction. But there's so many of you I mean I mean in fact, most of you were not here when we started that initiative. And the reason why we've been doing this is not only for those who started it to complete it, but for those of you that haven't been a part of it to jump into it. And here's why. When you give as an act of obedience because God has given to you, it has an effect on others' needs being met. Look at what Paul says. He says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. What is he getting at here? He's saying, listen, the believers in Jerusalem After Pentecost, gave. They gave and they gave and they gave and they even gave so much to the point to where now they're in need. But because they gave, the gospel came to you. Because they gave, the gospel came to Macedonia. Because they gave, the gospel came to Corinth. And now you have an opportunity. They're lacking and you're not. So now it's, it's your time to supply for their needs. Here's the simple principle. We give not only because God has given to us, but we give so that others who don't know Christ can have. And here's where this really means a lot to me. You know, this August, we celebrated 15 years as a church. 15 years ago, Westridge Church, which a lot of you may not even know. It's in Dallas, Georgia. Not the big D, all right, little D. Dallas, Georgia. And 15 years ago, God put it on Pastor Brian, who's one of my pastors, to be a church-planting church. And they sent out some families, like 20-something families from there to come here And Revolution Church was their very first church plant 15 years ago. Because Westridge Church sent out people and sent out money. Our church is here today. Without their generosity, if they hadn't paid it forward, we wouldn't be here. And then about four and a half years into that, our founding pastor left and they hired, they hired this crazy cat from Texas, yeah, who was 31, but he looked 11. I don't know if you saw any of the videos on Facebook this week. Like, like I didn't. I mean, the church had to be like, "Are we hiring a teenager?" I mean, it's great now because I'm 41. And people are like, "You're 41." I'm like, "Well, I still may have the maturity of an 11-year-old too." It's a problem. And then there were so many families 10 years ago. I mean, I had been the pastor here. This is what's crazy. I'd been the pastor here for nine months, and we did our very first giving initiative to buy the land in Canton, the, band, the land that our Canton facility sits on. And because some of those families decided to be generous, we're sitting today in their sacrifice. And then two and a half years ago, several hundred families in our church got behind the vision to plant a campus in Jasper and, and even started moved up to, not move necessarily their house, but started going to that campus. And we made a commitment to give for the gospel to be multiplied. And here's what's crazy. We bought land there because of generosity, we paid cash for it. And the biggest funding piece of that so far has come from people here in Canton that will never sit in those seats as a regular attender in Jasper. A lot of you have given so that there can be a facility there. And we've challenged our Jasper folk, Jasper, you need to give because you are going to sit in it, all right? Don't sit in something you ain't sacrificed for. But it's not just about a campus. We've also started two churches in Kenya. Hopefully about to start a third. Help, as a part of our church planning network, start two churches here locally. And you may never sit in those. In fact, I would just probably, from this point forward, you'll probably give to stuff you'll never sit in. So you better have a better motivation than, well, I'm sitting in it, my kids are sitting in it. No, some other people are gonna sit in Some other people's kids are gonna sit in it but aren't you so glad some people in Westridge gave in something that they would never sit in because they gave into it. You're sitting in it. This is what's so amazing. So a, we give cause it's normal. B we give because of God and C we give so that other people can have. I can't, I I honestly think that heaven's gonna just be an eternity of like, oh, I didn't know you gave to that. I think people are gonna walk up to us and say, because you did that, I'm in heaven today. Because you gave to a place that you wouldn't benefit from, I benefited from it, and I'm here. This is why I told you that, it's not a waste, man. So we have an opportunity now as a church to pay it forward because others paid it forward for us all the way back to Jesus. Jesus did what he did to get us back. I mean, he was good. He was rich. He had everything. But he emptied himself because we had nothing. And so simply this act of giving, it should be normal, it shouldn't be weird, it should be based upon real riches in the gospel, and it should be because it's making an eternal difference. And this is why I'm so excited about this vision to multiply. I I can't tell you how excited I am to start a bunch of churches over the next couple decades, to give our life as a church for the sake of other churches' lives to be one small part in this link of this chain that God is doing all over the planet, man. I have so many friends that are doing giving Sundays last Sunday and this Sunday, and I'm like, yes, go Jesus. I hope everybody gives to their church. Because man, if we make giving not weird, but we make it normal, the gospel will go, and we'll accomplish the mission. And the mission is to tell everybody that God loved them so much that he gave. And so if you're here today and you don't know that, you don't know that he loved you that much that he gave, then that's the gospel, man. And all you have to do today is receive that gift. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you so much that you gave because you loved. You didn't owe us anything but judgment and justice, but because you're generous, you gave Jesus. You gave yourself, emptied yourself of all the things that you were rich in and became poor and died alone on a cross so that those of us who were bankrupt in our sin might receive the riches of your righteousness and be saved. And so God, I pray if there's anybody here today that's listening or watching that has not received the greatest gift, that you would open their eyes, open their ears and save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never received this grace, it's not something you earn, it's not something you buy, it's something you receive. And you receive it in faith. And faith is, you can't see it, but you believe it. But I want you to understand faith is based on the fact that Jesus did die and he did rise again. And if you're simply willing to confess and believe that, Paul says in Romans 10, 9, you'll be saved. So again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you want to receive that gift today, you can pray with me, not out loud. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, to save me. I admit my sin. I'm bankrupt. And I ask you to take that debt and put it on Jesus. And give me his riches of righteousness and make me whole. I give you my life. Thank you so much for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray that with me for the first time, very simply, we wanna know about that because it's the greatest day of your life. You received the greatest gift this Christmas, Jesus himself. So if that was you, again, nobody looking around or talking, but you, if you just pray to trust Christ, would you just lift your hand so we can see that? Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women in both locations gonna put a gift in your hand because we want you to receive that and have some next steps. When you receive it, you can put it down. And in just a second, as a part of our response time, we're gonna give. And so if you came prepared today, we're gonna pass buckets. We haven't done that in a while. And just take a moment, and a time of worship, and we'll have some scriptures on the screen, and after that we'll worship together and respond in giving. Father, we pray, we pray that today this wouldn't add up. That you would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Would you multiply it in Jesus' name, amen.